chapter 13. I noticed that there are some visitors out there this morning. I, I welcome you. Please give me the, uh, the privilege of being able to meet you before you leave today. We're studying the Word of God. I encourage you to have the Word of God before you this morning. There are some copies of God's Word in the, some of the pews. You'll find that, the pews in front of you. John chapter 13. Other than the beginning and the end of the Gospel of John, really it is divided into two parts, or we could say two main books. Part 1, the book of signs, which is chapters 1 through 12. Part 2, the the book of passion, or the book of glory. I, I like that description better, book of glory, and chapter 13 through chapter 20 and verse 31. And again, as I mentioned before, chapters 13 through 17 has been called the the Holy of Holies of the Discourses of the Lord. And that's what we have been studying and that's where we we will continue this morning. In the first few verses, actually the first verse, we, we, we looked at and we studied and we learned about the love of Christ in, in chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And we saw that his love is a particular love. He has a particular love for his people, and it is a divine love. God loves us and loved us first. It is a distinguished love, and it is a love that is unending. He loves, loved his disciples until the end, and he loves his people. He loves us Christian until the end. A love that Christ has for his own. And then we saw the humility of Jesus Christ. Uh, we saw that um, as he applied these things, as he washed the feet of the disciples. Look at verse 2. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, And he had come forth from God and was going back to God. He got up from the supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. So the supper was already, uh, had already begun. They were already eating. They were sitting at the table together. And Jesus got up from the table, laid aside his garments, likely only had a loincloth on, which would be the garb for a slave, And he took a towel, the towel that he could wrap around himself, and there was still the length left over. And he would wash the feet of the disciples. Verse 5, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Remember uh, how uh, we, we looked at how Peter said this, you, my feet to wash? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. 
And we'll see this morning that there was a partial understanding. There would be a further understanding in Peter's life later on. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. This no way, no how, not going to happen. You, Jesus, are not going to wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And so, uh, as we studied before, Simon Peter said to him, the Lord did not wash only, not my, only my feet, but also my hands and, and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. And he said, not all of you, because of we know who was there to betray him. Verse 11, he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. And it begins, we begin where we left off in verse 12. But as we learn, Christ is clothed in humility. Clothed in humility. And he is the one who cleanses sinners from their sin. He cleanses sinful man. The setting, as we are reminded, is the upper room. The Passover has arrived. The meal is underway. Jesus is in the room with his disciples. Thirteen of them there. Jesus and the disciples. Teaching them and ministering to them privately. And Jesus, as we just read, had finished washing the disciples' feet. And now he proceeds to help them understand what he has done. Key words for us to remember as we go along in this study today. We're here to study the Word of God. We're here to hear what the Word of God has to say and say, Oh God, how do I apply this to my life? Key words are understanding, knowing, and doing. Understanding, knowing, and doing. And here we are in verse 12 as I will ask the Lord for help one more time. God, I ask that you would indeed please... Help me to be faithful to your text. Help me to understand your text. And I pray, O God, that you would use this for your glory and for the help of your people and for lost sinners as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So first we see here in verse 12 this unequivocal understanding. It was an understanding, an understanding that we need to have that is unequivocal. It it has to be there. There's no wiggle room. When he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? Do you know what I have done to you? This is a searching, probing question. We imagine the silence that was in that room. Other than what Peter said, what else could be said? Another way of posing the question would be to ask, do you see the significance of what I did? Oftentimes we would say, maybe a a parent to a child, do you understand what I said? Do you understand what what this means? After you've explained it to them, they say, yes, I I understand. Do you see the significance of this, son? Yes, I, I see the significance of this. There is the understanding that they would have been thinking through this and that there, there would be some level of understanding of this significance. Remember what Jesus said in verse 7. What I do 
you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And hereafter begins right now where Jesus explains to them. Understanding is crucial. He explains to them these these things, expecting that they would understand, at least in part, and would have a further understanding after Jesus' ascension. Understanding, another, again, a key word for us, is crucial in living a life that has been transformed by Jesus Christ. Sinclair Ferguson, in his book, Lessons from the Upper Room, a brother reminded me of that recently, and it is having to do with John chapter 13. I remembered I had that book on my shelf, and I looked in, and I was tremendously blessed. He says this, Well, he explains that Jesus wanted the disciples to understand what he came to do. Then make the connection between what he has done and what they must do. So Sinclair Ferguson explains. Understanding the key to understanding the key to transform Christian living lies here, not primarily in our affections or in our emotions or in our instincts, or even our will. Christ will gradually transform all of these, but he does so through our understanding of the gospel. Gospel. Now we say, well, we understand the gospel. If I were to ask many of you here, how long have you been a Christian? Those of you who are Christian, how long have you been going to church? How long have you been coming to church? Wherever that church is, And some of you would say 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, or I've been walking with the Lord for 40 years. Great. If I were to ask if you understood the gospel, many of you, if not all of you, would answer, yes, of course, I understand the gospel. Now, if I were to hand you a blank sheet of paper right now, pulled out a bunch of of paper, pens, and passed them all out, and ask you to write out the gospel, what would you put? What scriptures would you use? Would you be able to present the gospel biblically? Or would you say, well, someone needs to invite Jesus Christ into their heart and pray a sinner's prayer, which is not found in the scripture. What would you say? Would you be able to write down on a sheet of paper? No problem. I know the gospel well. Uh, I've heard the gospel many times. I study the gospel. I preach the gospel to myself. I will write it out. And you would probably perhaps think of scriptures that would come to your mind. Oh, yeah, Romans Road. Or maybe I'll go to the Gospel of John, the Ten Commandments. Uh, uh, John chapter 3. Would you be able to present the gospel biblically? Would you be able to give a condensed version of the gospel to a man who was dying and had a short time to live? And you may, be, may only have a few minutes with him, and he's on his deathbed. What would you say? Do you understand the gospel? Is it precious to you? Then your lives should reflect it. My life should reflect it. If you understand the gospel, you will desire to worship God His way. You will desire to be amongst His people. You will want to tell others of the gospel. And you will live a transformed life. 
Understanding is key. Understanding the gospel. To understand what Jesus teaches, we must know what he teaches by being taught what he teaches. When we understand what Jesus has done for us, when we understand how how Jesus has treated us in spite of who we are, having a high view of God and a low view of ourselves, biblically speaking, we understand how we are to respond and how and we understand how we are to treat one another when we understand the gospel the contrast of this when we have a poor understanding of who Jesus is and a poor understanding of the gospel and what he has done for us and a poor and skewed view of who we are as sinners we will not live as we ought we will not treat one another as we ought we will be flippant with the local church And we will be flippant with the Lord's Day as well. Whether one has a penchant for reading or not, we all ought to read the Word of God as Christians. That just goes hand in hand. Or a desire to have a prayer life or not, as Christians we will have a life of prayer. So if you're a person in here who says, I'm a Christian, and you do not read the Word of God and you do not pray, do not call yourself a Christian any longer. Understanding is key. Now, there are things in the Scripture that are very difficult to understand. You study it the first time, you, you go to the Old Testament, and I'm like, wow, I haven't been here in, 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 in a long time, and oh, you haven't studied this in years, and it was hard to understand then, perhaps, and, and now, I, oh, okay, maybe a better understanding, but there are things we just, it's hard to, to grasp and grapple with. But the gospel is not difficult to understand. It is impossible to understand and respond to with reception of Christ apart from God's grace. The gospel a forever changing effect in our hearts and in our thinking because we understand it. Peter may have not grasped right then what Jesus was teaching, but when you read 1 Peter and when we study 1 Peter and we are doing that on Sunday evenings, we are left with little doubt he learned much from his time with the Messiah. Peter had a front row seat I mentioned last time that Peter learned humility and wrote to the recipients of 1 Peter to clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Peter learned this from being the proud-hearted one who was ministered to by the one who was clothed in humility, Jesus Christ. Peter gained understanding by his time with the Messiah By his time in study, by his time in prayer, by his time of living, Peter gained understanding from God. So again, Jesus taught two main lessons here. While engaging in the foot washing, he taught what is theological, what it symbolized. Jesus humbling himself to the point of death 
on a cross and the cleansing of the believer. Secondly, after washing their feet, he reclines with them, teaching them the practical, how they are to to serve one another due to his example. So we must have an unequivocal, unequivocal understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we must have honest humility. Honest humility. Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right. For so I am. The definite article is present in the Greek here. So Jesus is saying, you're calling me the teacher and the Lord. They call Jesus these titles out of respect and reverence. And Lord obviously meant something more to them later on. Immediately after Jesus serves the disciples by washing their feet, he reclines at the table again with them and teaches them and says, here's what this means. He reminds them of the implications of calling him teacher. Therefore, learn from him. You call Jesus the teacher, therefore you must learn from him. And Lord, therefore he is to be the one who, who, who is master over your life. The one who to be followed. If we say Jesus is Lord and we mean it, then we will therefore follow after him. He continues in verse 14, If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Again, this was not a setup for a modern day foot washing. We looked at that a little bit last time to set that up and have that as a, as a rite, a, a sacrament or an ordinance or whatever in the New Testament church. We do not find that. We do not see that. We do not have to practice that. There was a reason that they did this this way, and we looked at that last time. You also ought to wash one another's feet. He affirms their profession with their own lips of who they are. You call me teacher. You call me Lord. Okay, that's who you say I am, as Jesus would say. You say Jesus is teacher. You say he is Lord. Therefore, you ought to do what I have commanded. You ought to do what I have shared, what I have shown you this example, that you should do these things as well. Then he reinforces who he is, verse 14, the Lord and the teacher, then instructs them. To call Jesus your teacher and Lord is to learn from him, it is to obey him, it is to not be the one he addressed in Luke chapter 6, verse 46 and following. When he says to those who called him Lord, and he says, why do you call me Lord? Lord, 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 there's emphasis there. It's not just calling him Lord with a uh, lowercase l. Why do you call me Lord, Lord with emphasis and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it 
because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like the man who built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. We see the two different foundations there. We see hearing what Jesus says and then saying, oh, no, thanks. Anyway, I'll do my own thing. Or hearing what Jesus says and says, yes, Lord, and obeying him. This honest humility that Jesus had, we ought to also seek to cultivate in our life. And we'll see what that means. For Jesus, third point, Jesus left us an extraordinary example. An extraordinary example. You know how sometimes we have examples in our life? Men or women who have taught us something and they were just an example to us. What an example they, that they set. And these are good things and we should seek to be an example in someone else's life. It's part of being a Christian. But Jesus was the extraordinary example. Set apart and he, he was... He is Lord and and teacher. You also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, For I gave you an example that you also should do just as I did to you. Remember the key words, understanding, knowing, and doing. An example that you should do as I did to you. Notice the repetition, showing emphasis. You also ought to, you should do. Why? Because he gave the example. He's not just saying, well, you got to do this and you do that. No, he says, here's the example, now do likewise. Prideful man usually does not want the low role in a society or situation. Or in a ministry. Instead, prideful man will step on others in order to climb the top. And sadly, we find this at times in ministry. Yet Jesus, the teacher and Lord, washed the feet of the disciples, giving every way they should do as Jesus did, showing them. I gave you an example, a pattern of humility. Having no act of service to be, to be beneath them. That is part of being humble. No act of service is beneath them. Humility is a work of God. He takes the initiative, yet we are called to humble ourselves before him. Peter, later in life, once again, picks up on this. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you a what? An example for you to follow in his steps. We remember the uh, bracelet, uh, what did Jesus do? Remember that was a big fad years ago, and maybe you have one now, and I don't mean any offense or, or whatnot, but it was a huge thing. You know, probably whoever came up with that probably made a lot of money. What did Jesus do? Oh, let's do this and do this. Well, if we really followed what Jesus did, society did, we would have a whole different place we are living in. But indeed, we ought to do what 
Jesus did because he is the example that he set for us. Sinclair Ferguson, again from his book on the upper room, he says, when the example of Jesus is fixed in our minds, as it became fixed in the mind of Peter, as we begin to understand the significance of what Jesus has done, we will begin to follow his examples and become copies of his life, being Christ-like. Whose life are we copying? You know, oftentimes when, when you're younger, perhaps you're younger and maybe you like basketball, and there was a certain player who did a, played a certain way or did a certain thing, or Jordan stuck his tongue out and, and jumped from the foul line, and we as kids try to imitate that. You, of course, we'd have to lower the hoop to about eight feet, get a trampoline at the, at the, at the foul line, Stick our tongue out or whatever. Oh, you know, we're just like Jordan. No, not, not close. Or maybe it was Bird or, or whoever. Or the no-look pass, Magic Johnson. And sadly, these are the, some of the only examples that some of us had in our youth to look up to. I want to be like this guy or this guy or whatever it is. How much more the the example of, of Christians in the life of others, men in the lives of younger men, women in the lives of, of younger women, given that example, laying that example down that they could follow and that they should follow that person as they follow Christ. The Lord gave them an example so that they would keep on doing what he told them and what he showed them. His example of humility, a a rebuke to the proud hearts found sitting around the table that night. As you remember, the disciples were arguing with one another who the greatest is, who is going to be seated here, who was going to be seated there. It makes you think if they were almost coming to blows or or pushing one another or, or whatever. And then Jesus gets up and he washes their feet. Showing them what humility is. Showing them that that phrase, uh, servant leadership. So we ought to, we must have an unequivocal understanding of the gospel. Uh, We must uh, seek to have honest humility. Not this false humility. And we have the extraordinary example that has been laid before us. And that is Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us. And then we are to have leveled living. Leveled living. You know the phrase, a level playing field? I always wondered what it was to play on a field that wasn't leveled. But a leveled playing field. Everyone on the, on the, uh, the same plane, the same level. In other words, uh, there's not one that is greater than his master. Now don't take that phrase and go woke with it. I'm speaking here of what the scripture says in verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. We see a slave, doulos, here. We see the sent one, the apostles, here. And we see the master here, Jesus. And he is saying, I tell you the truth, a very important statement is about to be laid out before you. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
It was not below the dignity of the Lord to serve the disciples by the way of washing their dirty feet. The example set before them and before every believer is to have the same disposition. In other words, we can never say we are too good or too great to serve in an area that one may think is beneath them. Oftentimes when people are interested in ministry or leadership or they say, yeah, I want to preach and this, well, let's give them a job to do and see what happens. See where they're at. Give them a a job to do of uh, whatever it is, cleaning or or mowing the yard. And and let's, let's see how they respond to that. I've seen the response both ways. I've seen men respond to that and be used mightily of God. And I've seen men who thought that they could preach and they were called to ministry and been given tasks like that and respond in a way that they thought that they were too good for that. They thought that that was beneath them. In many ways, we are all Gideons. Weak, feeble, We need the Lord's power. We need the Lord's strength. We need fervent prayer. And Jesus, as he is saying these things, he says first and foremost to the apostles. We think about his audience right then and there and how they were used by God and the ending of their lives as well how some of them died. These, the apostles, would be the foundation of the the church. He was teaching them humility, and some of them, if not all of them, would learn humility the hard way. You know when we have to learn lessons the hard way? It's painful, isn't it? I've learned quite a few the hard way. Some of us who were uh, very rebellious to the things of the Lord before coming to Christ. Had to go through some hard times, learning things the hard way. And God puts in society certain structures and protections for people, doesn't He? The family, the church, and if they still want to rebel, the law is there, there's prison there. If they still want to rebel against Him, Continually, until the end of their life, without Christ, they will suffer eternal consequences and judgment in hell. God puts these there as roadblocks, as places. It's like this, there's a stop there, and the next stop, the next stop, in His grace, in His mercy, trying, I mean, as setting these parameters up, as people would try to go the other way. The road of the transgressor is hard, Proverbs say. Many of us here have had to learn lessons the hard way. And that's not always a bad thing, is it? Humility comes that way at times. But too often we can be stubborn in our thinking, not heeding wise counsel, and yet pride comes before the fall. The foundation of the church has been laid, the apostles and prophets. The Lord now appoints pastors and teachers to oversee the church. 
Just as a side note, as pastors and teachers, also known as elders, this mindset, the mindset, is to be the heart of humility. It must be flowing from them, flowing from us, as they must be submitted to and relying on the Lord. As leaders in the church, the disposition must be of servant, of serving, not lord of all things and, and lording over uh, people and iron fist type of situations. Sadly, some pastors have their nose so high in the air you need a ladder to trim their nose hairs. So high in the air, if it rained, they would drown. Nick Thompson, in his book, Growing Downward, he writes, pride manifests itself as a self-sufficient rejection of God and an abuse of others for selfish gain. Like humility, pride must be defined by its essence, not its activity. If humility is a downward disposition, then pride is a haughty disposition. Having a, a downward disposition is not equal to low self-esteem. Low self-esteem can be a mask of a proud heart, just manifesting itself in another way. Having a downward disposition in the context of of our, our study is to have lowliness of spirit. Lowliness of spirit. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're going to find out on Wednesday nights in the study of the Beatitudes. I'll just read it and remind us now. Matthew 5. Jesus opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn over their sin, for they're the ones who will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle or, or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the dividers, the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, says the Lord. Many of us can see that verse and we say, I know what that feels like. Because of who I am as a Christian, because of who I am as, a, as an elder in the church, a deacon, as a Christian husband, or for the ladies, a, 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 a Christian wife, I know what it's like when people insult me and persecute and say falsely all kinds of things because of living for the Lord. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Humility. Of course, as in, in John 13, as Jesus is speaking to the disciples, we're reminded that, that is, this is for us as well. Not just apostles, not for elders, just elders, but all of us. We find Jesus saying similar things elsewhere in the Gospels. John 
15, verse 20. Remember the word I've said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And then in Matthew 10, 24, 25, I'll just read it. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and a slave like his master. We find a a sharp contrast in Scripture of pride and humility, don't we? And a, a sharp contrast of how God deals with those who are prideful versus those who humble themselves before Him. Psalm 18, verse 27, For, for you, speaking of, of Yahweh of the Lord, for you save an afflicted people, but haughty eyes you abase. Or Psalm 138, verse 6, For though the Lord is exalted, yet He regards the lowly, but the haughty He knows from afar. Humility comes from the hand of God as He works on our inwards as he works on us. And the result will be humility that is seen outward. Another scripture I was reminded of in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. As verse 5 reminds us, it points back to the inward, this attitude we are to have in ourselves. God is always after the heart. Heart Our heart is always what is needing to be examined and refined and, and worked on by God. And as we cultivate in our lives, a a pliable heart to the things of the Lord. We may ask, how can such humility take place in my life? Well, the answer is found in Christ, who He is and what He has done for people like us. In Thompson's book, again, Growing Downward, he provides three questions I thought were helpful and that we might find helpful to further understand humility. Three questions here. How do I view God? How do I view myself? And how do I view others? How do I view God? Or we could couch it this way, do I fear God? How do I view myself? Am I lowly in spirit? How do I view others? Do I love other people tangibly and from the heart? Now we think about that if we were to to marinate on those questions in our mind even now. Thompson adds this. Humility is not measured by the level of piety exemplified in your answers. 
but by the level of pain inflicting your heart as you answer. Those who are inundated with pride will possess a blind indifference toward their haughtiness, often clothing it in religiosity. So we see we are to have an unequivocal understanding of the gospel and to seek to have honest humility before the Lord, not this false humility. We have an extraordinary example we find in Christ. And this leveled living, no master is greater than his slave. Finally, we are to acquire and act. Acquire and act. Or know and do. Know and do. See, when there's, there are all these false religions out there, it is do this, do this, do this, do, do, do. With Christ, it is already done. It is already done. He says, it is finished. And he says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Remember the if-then statements. Some of you may have PTSD from from old college math, the if-then statements. But here, Christ has these if-then. If you know these things, if you've acquired knowledge of these things, you are blessed if you do them. The implication is that they they did know. The NIV actually translates this, um, this if, the first if, as now. Now you know these things, therefore, go do them. Now, Christian, God has worked in your heart and in your life, therefore, go obey Him. It's one thing to know something, right? To have knowledge of the truth. It's another thing to do something because of what we know. As a response to what we know. As a response to to who we know. Sometimes we use the vernacular or we use the discussion or we talk in a way that referring to one who was raised in a church or sat under preaching for years and that now they are not living as though they believe the truth. And we'll, we'll say they know it in their head when we're, when we're explaining to someone and they say, well, how's this person or how's this person in your family? And as we're talking, as we're going to pray for them and they want to know how to pray for them, they, we say, well, they know it in their head. And we must be careful on that because Judas did as well. Judas knew it in his head. And he was a false disciple. He sat under Jesus' teaching, knowing the truth, sitting with Jesus, right there with Jesus. And he rejected Jesus. It's easy for us to point out these things on those who have left the fold or left the church, gone off on the deep end, as we say, as we call it. What's more frightening is that some here could even honor Christ with their lips, but have a heart that is far from Him. Some who would sit within the church, sit in the pew, 
Jesus is calling his disciples here in John 13, and he is calling us to respond to who he is and what he has done. Do you know Jesus as teacher and Lord? He is who is teacher and Lord. He ministers to the needs of his people. And he did so by humbling himself, stooping very low to the point of death, even death on a cross. You, me, Christians, as a recipient of such love, should be willing to serve one another with a humble disposition. And Jesus says, blessed are you if you do what he says. Blessed are you or assured are you, fulfilled are you, content you, you could be, peace of God will, will benefit you. Why? Because the focus is not on ourselves. The focus is on others. Focus is on God and others. If you know, blessed are you if you do. If you know and refuse to obey, cursed are you because you do not. Faith without works is useless. Remember as Jesus said in Matthew 7, Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you'll know them by your fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to Jesus, Lord, Lord, with emphatic speech, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of his Father, who is in heaven, will enter. For many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and your name cast out demons, and your name perform many miracles? And he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And as Christians, we build our house on the solid rock, Jesus Christ. Jesus came down to earth and he bore our sin in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. And for anyone in here who's not a Christian, by his wounds you may be healed this day. You may be healed at this moment, at this time, by turning to Christ, turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. He was buried And he rose from the grave, according to the scriptures. He ascended to glory. And one more quote by Ferguson, he says, The message of the 
acted parable of the foot washing was that the Lord of glory became the servant of sinners, took our shame, and now is Lord of all, exalted at the right hand of the Father. Unequivocal understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Honest humility, not false humility. An extraordinary example we have in Jesus alone. Leveled living. No one's greater than anyone else. No slave is better than the master. Acquire and act. Know the word of God and therefore obey what the Lord says. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, for us, to die for us, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the nail-pierced hands. Thank you, Lord, as although you were sinless, you are God, the Son of God. You did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but you emptied yourself for us. By your wounds, we are healed. Perhaps some in here do not know Jesus have not bowed the knee to Christ. Lord, we pray you would indeed work a work of grace in their hearts today. Lord, we pray that if any have more questions on this, you would have us, the elders and deacons, to provide answers. Let us walk worthy of the calling for which we have been called. For the glory of Jesus Christ, in his name we pray, amen.